All right, let's go ahead and open up the Word of God today to two places, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to begin reading in verse 22, and in your left hand you can get Matthew chapter 16. Luke chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 16. Luke chapter 9, and I'm starting in verse 22, even though we've already preached about it, covered it, it sets the stage for what Jesus is going to say in this next portion of scripture. In verse 22, the Bible says, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. As I mentioned to you last time, I preached from this verse, this is the first time that Jesus has publicly announced to anyone that he was going to die. The idea of the Messiah dying was a brand new thought. Notice, however, he did not mention how he would die. The idea of him dying on a cross, right? We know prophetically that's true. It was, it was buried there in the Old Testament. We, we can see it clearly because it's happened now. But Jesus did not tell them in this verse, I'm going to die on a cross. He would later explain that. But not here. Here, it sounds as if it's going to be a Jewish-style death. Elders, chief priests, scribes, which would mean most likely he'll be stoned to death. So Jesus has now mentioned that he is going to die. And the next thing out of his mouth is this. He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus, he alludes to his cross in verse 22. But then the message for the next several verses is about your cross. It's about the disciples' cross. And the name of my sermon today, what I want to preach about is your cross. In verse 24, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world? And lose himself or be cast away. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. If you would bow your heads with me and let's just pray for a moment. Father, as we now step into this sermon... Lord, we, how can we ever thank you enough for the cross upon which Jesus died, the fact that your son was willing to lay down his life for our sakes. Now, Lord, today what we want to talk about is us laying down our lives for your sake. Help us, Father. Help us to see and to hear what you've prepared for us. Help us to go home better than how we came. Father, please fill me with your spirit and give us all ears to hear. Meet with us, God, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus has announced that he's going to die. And then in Luke's gospel, immediately the focus shifts to the cross that the disciples are called upon to bear. But I want you to hold Luke chapter 9. We're going to come right back to it. Turn to Matthew 16 and look at verse number 21. And there was actually another part to the story. And I think it's, it's important that we see what was said in between what we know as Luke 9, 22 and verse 23. Something happened in between there. In verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Do you see where it says he began to say it? First time he's publicly telling these things to people. Verse 22, then Peter took him and begin to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. As soon as Jesus starts to even allude to his cross, Peter's against it. As soon as you start preaching about a cross, there's just something about our flesh that starts to back away and say, Get, get that cross away from me. Verse 23, But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. 
You know what Satan is interested to get you to do? Not necessarily to follow him. Not necessarily to care about the things of the devil. The devil would like nothing more for you to care about the things of you. He savors the things of men. If he, the devil's number one concern, it's a negative thing, keep you away from God. Now, what tactic will he use to do that? The devil doesn't care. Just as long as you don't go upwards to having a tighter, more intimate, personal, meaningful, genuine relationship with God. So, obviously, we know the devil can put all sorts of temptations in your path and drag you down with sin. So just have this picture in your mind. Perhaps you can see this static line here, this imaginary line. There's you right there. And God is calling you upwards, saying, let's, let's rise above the temptations, get closer to me. And then there's sin down below you, and the devil will put those things trying to drag you down. And if you go down, obviously you're farther away from God. But if the devil can't drag you down, and there's many of you in this room, you're really not interested in trying to get away with any sort of sinful life. And not that you don't sin, but that's really, you, that's really not what pulls you away from God. So the devil says, I can't get him with that. Perhaps if I can just get him going this way or going this way. Perhaps if I can distract him with friends, family. Perhaps if I can pull him this way with jobs, sports, hobbies, anything. These things going down are wrong and sinful. These other things aren't even wrong. But they may not, they may not be helping you get closer to God. They may be, as Jesus referred to it in one of his parables, be the cares of this world, the pleasures of this life, just stuff that stretches you so thin that you don't have time to move upwards. The cost of moving upwards, friend, is a cross. What separates you from getting closer to God is that cross. And you cannot approach God without a cross. Come back to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If you're going to follow him, you must have a cross. You must have your cross. Folks, I'm so sorry. I, I have you out of the book of Matthew. I wanted to show you one more thing. Can I ask you to go back to Matthew, but chapter 10? I'm so sorry. Matthew chapter 10. I want to show you the first time Jesus ever mentioned any sort of a cross to his disciples. The first time. It might surprise you to know that the first time he mentions a cross, it has nothing to do with him dying. The first time ever Jesus said anything about a cross, it was about you and me as his disciples taking up a cross. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has assembled what we now call the 12 apostles. He is sending them out. Verse 34, he gives them this admonition. Matthew 10 and verse 34. Think not, Jesus says, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. In other gospels, it is written that he came to divide. How so? It is not his will that there be division. He wants peace, sure. But Jesus knows by his presence, by him being so uh, clearly obvious about his statement that I am the only way, so exclusive, certain people are not going to fall in line with that idea. And thus, there will be a natural division between those that believe him and those that don't. He says in verse 35, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He is speaking to his disciples whom he's sending out to preach and he says, guys, one of the challenges that you're going to face, one of the crosses that you're going to have to pick up is your family may not be on board with how dedicated you are to my cause. Verse 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And here in the next verse is the first time the word cross appears coming from the mouth of Christ. And he that taketh not his cross 
and followeth after me is not worthy of me. If you want to move upwards in that relationship closer to God and to Christ, the cost of that is a cross. You cannot approach without a cross. So you understand what he's getting at. You can see the connection. Verse 39, he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. In the day and age in which Jesus said this, the, the disciples would have immediately, as he said, take up your cross. Take up his cross. Speaking about their, their decision. Their commitment. They would have immediately thought about the Romans executing people. The, the preferred style of execution for the Romans was a crucifix. They did not invent it, but they perfected it. And it was a horrible, painful death, slow death. They even created a new Latin word to explain the death of the cross. It is the word we use in English, excruciating. Do you hear the word crucify in there? Excruciating. It was that painful. But before the pain actually started up on the cross, there was a great shame involved. The Romans would often scourge or whip the criminal and then strip them down. Often they would have to carry their cross. Now when I say cross, the cross beam. The, the stake that goes in the ground was too heavy to carry, but they would have to carry their cross beam through town up a small incline of a hill where they were executed. And either it's hanged around their neck or it's nailed to the cross at some juncture, but they have to also have what the Romans called a titleist. We would call it a placard, a little sign that stated who they were and what they had done. Remember Jesus' crime? This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. They said, no, 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 Pilate, don't write that. You need to write the real accusation that he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. Pilate was convinced. Jesus' crime was that he was the king of the Jews. The shame of that cross, you're carrying it, you're beaten and bloodied and now you have this heavy weight on you and everybody knows there's your name there's your family's name and that's what you did that's what you're guilty of and off you go on that slow march to your death a very public a very shameful embarrassing death as the disciples hear jesus say listen do you want to follow me you need to take up your cross immediately they draw that picture in their mind this is going to be a public, shameful, embarrassing march towards my death. And not just my physical death, although many of them actually did end up dying on a cross. But before Jesus ever talked about them physically laying down their life, he's asking them to be living sacrifices and to carry the placard, not king of the Jews, but I am a follower of that king of the Jews. And I'm not ashamed of it. I don't mind if the world around me, if my society, if my home, if my family and friends see that I am a dedicated, committed follower of Christ. And maybe they won't understand every decision I make and why I'm not as involved with them as I once was. And why I don't do the things I used to do. Friends, family, co-workers, just the people in your sphere may not understand. And they may stand back and make accusations. As they did with Christ when he hung on the cross saying, if you're the son of God, come down. He believed in God. Let God have him. If he's truly his son, he should save him. People might even think that you are out of your mind. It'll be a public, shameful decision, but it's the decision you have to make to follow Christ. That criminal was forced to carry that cross. He didn't want to carry it. Jesus now turns to his disciples and says, you're not a criminal. You're just one of my followers but there's your cross and it's your choice. No one's going to force it on you. But if you want to follow me, that's the requirement. But what are my family going to think? What is the public going to think? What's this going to cost me at work? Doesn't matter. That's the cost. If you want to follow me, take up your cross. Jesus is in effect in this passage. In Luke 9, you can come back to it. Luke 9, he is saying, I'm going to die. Verse 22 and likewise, you will have to lay down your life or lose your life, verse 23, 24. But before he ever talks about physically laying down their lives as martyrs, he's talking about them being living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, what kind of service? Reasonable 
service. Why is it reasonable for him to ask it? Because he went to the cross for us. I want to talk about three things that pertain to your cross this morning. Number one, the scope. The scope of your cross. What I mean by that is to what extent does this concept of carrying your cross reach? How far does it reach? So when we say pick up your cross, we're talking about making a commitment to do the difficult thing. Do you understand that? And, and not just taking up a cross because it's difficult, but taking up the cross that Jesus commands you to take up when it's difficult. What is the scope of your cross? Well, look at verse 24. For whosoever will save his life. How far does this cross reach? This commitment to, Lord, I'll do the difficult thing no matter what you ask. How far does it go? Into what areas of your life? All of them. There's no area of your life where the cross doesn't reach. Verse 25, for what is a man advantaged if he gain thee? Whole world. That's the scope of your cross. Whatever it might cost you. Your whole life. The whole world. Verse number 26. I think we should point this out. Verse 26, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. We're talking about his words, obeying him, doing what he said, yes? Okay. Verse 24, look at it in the middle there. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake. Now I want to be careful about this part. Because when we read in verse 23 about denying yourself, we're not denying ourselves simply for the sake of, of denial. We're not trying to be mean to ourselves and make our life more difficult than it needs to be. You don't go around just picking up any and all crosses that you can find. Going, this looks tough, I'll do it because it's tough. That, that's not the point. We do things because Jesus told us to do them. That's verse 26. Jesus said, this is the stand I want you to take. This is the proper posture in your home and workplace and in your classroom. This is what's important. This is where the emphasis should be. Here's what I expect from you. And you, when he puts that word out there, this is how it works. When God speaks to you through the Bible, through the Holy Ghost in your heart saying, do this, that's the word of God representing the will of God, pointing upwards. And then your word, your will, your way will be the opposite. I don't want to do that, Lord. If I do that, there's going to be some people that hate me. If I do that, they're going to make fun of me. If I do that, it might cost me some money. If I do that, then I'm not getting what I want. I'd rather do it this way. And God says, but I want it that way. You know what you've produced? A cross. And when your will crosses God's will... That's the cross you have to pick up and say, God, not my will, but thine be done. I'll do it your way. You don't have to make up ways to deny yourself. But when Christ's words and God's will goes against what you would rather do, that's the decision that determines whether or not you're a true disciple of Christ. To say, okay, I will take up that cross. I will put myself down. And do it God's way instead. Come to Luke chapter 14. Verse number 25. Perhaps Matthew 10 is still fresh in your mind where Jesus talked about father against the son. And a man's foes shall be they of his own house. Luke 9. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. The whole world is nothing compared to what you might receive if you follow Christ instead. In, in Luke 14, watch, watch in verse 25, there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother and wife, and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. When we think about denying ourselves and carrying a cross, yes, yes, we are talking about 
putting down and crucifying our fleshly lust, sinful desires. Yes, carrying our cross does encompass that. But it's more than that. There are things in our life that are just naturally wrong. Lying, stealing, fornication, pride, all of those selfish, fleshly things. Obviously, yes, say no to that, put that down. But carrying a cross goes way, way beyond that. You have to put down the things that are naturally wrong, but you also have to deny yourself some things that are naturally right. Verse 26. What's wrong in that verse? What is the sinful thing in verse 26 that you naturally would know, I shouldn't do that, obviously? Your father, your mother, your wife, children, brothers, sisters, yourself, you're not supposed to hate yourself, you're supposed to love yourself. Until you cross with God. Then it's time to say, not my will, but thine be done. Who doesn't want a good job? Who doesn't want to live in a nice city where everything is nearby and convenient? Who doesn't want to spend time with their kids and their grandkids? Who doesn't want that? Who wouldn't like to have their dream life come to pass? All of us wanted to work out according to our plan, but that's not the purpose of life. That's not why God put us here. God didn't put us here to make all of our dreams come true. God put us here to have a relationship with Him And there are lots of things that can get in the way of that. And those are the things that have to be denied. When? When should they be denied? When Jesus says, I need you to do this and that. And family, friends, job, whatever it is, gets in the way of that. It has to be denied. It may not be wrong. But you may have to put it down. Abraham, leave your country. Leave your family. Go to a land that I should tell thee of. What's wrong with Abraham's country? Nothing. What's wrong with family? Nothing. But Abraham, leave him behind. If Abraham would have said, but but Lord, it's my family. Obviously, I'm, I'm supposed to be good to my family. Isn't that obvious? Isn't that naturally right? But that's one of those moments where God's will and Abraham's will crossed up. You know what Abraham did? He disobeyed. Did you know that? He left Ur of the Chaldees, but he took his dad with him. And he took his nephew. And instead of him going from Ur of the Chaldees straight to the land of Canaan, the Bible says he went from Ur of the Chaldees way up north to a place called Haran. And it wasn't until his dad died that God said, now go down to the land of Canaan. He could not find the bullseye of God's will until that part of his life got crucified. It had to die. And still he brought Lot with him. You know how that turned out? That caused a lot of problems. Because he's trying to, he tried what so many believers now try. I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want to have everything that I want. I want a relationship with God and I want all these other relationships and I want all this other business stuff to work out and all my hobbies to be fun and I want to go on every vacation that I ever want to go on. I want to have it all. Jesus said that's, that's not going to work. There are going to be plenty of times where God lets you enjoy those pleasures of life with your fam- family and friends. That, that stuff's going to happen. God's not against it. But it can't be first. It can't be first. The devil wants you to see, when we're talking about the scope of your cross, he wants you to think that the scope of the cross is very narrow and very, very small. The scope of the cross, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, that's fine, but just sacrifice a few things. Don't go very far. If you want a great illustration of it, read the book of Exodus. God told Moses, leave Egypt and go sacrifice on the mountain that I'll tell you of. You know what Pharaoh said? Okay, all right, fine. After a few plagues, okay, you can go, but don't go very far. 
Okay, you can go, but only the men. Leave the women and children. And they, he starts trying to compromise. That's Pharaoh. That's your flesh working in concert with the devil. Let's compromise and do a little bit of God's will and a little bit of our will. The devil wants you to follow the convenient path instead of the costly path of discipleship. And there's a cost involved. If you're going to build the tower, sit down, count the cost. It's got to cost me something. A.W. Tozer, many of you know of him. Great Christian of yesteryear, about 100 years ago. 70 years ago, I guess. Towards the end of his life, he said this, Pray for me. He's talking to his church. He asked them for this. Pray for me in the light of the pressures of our times. Pray that I will not just come to a wearied end. An exhausted, tired old preacher interested only in hunting a place to roost. Do you, do you understand what he means by that? Pray for me that I don't just seek out what's comfortable and think, well, I've run a good race up until now. Don't I deserve to take a break? He said, pray that I will be willing to let my Christian experience and Christian standards cost me something right down to the last gasp. The scope of your cross touches everything in your life. Everything in your life. As we were back on furlough about a year and a half ago, I didn't realize how difficult it would be to spend time with my family. It's not because we didn't get along, it's because we did. Many of you don't even know. You haven't been around long enough. I have two older children that live in America. My son called me a couple weeks ago, said he, ooh, this is being live streamed. I hope his girlfriend's not watching this. <laughs> said he's going to propose. <laughs> Congratulations, Sarah. <laughs> Man, I hope I didn't just do that on his behalf. Is that why the father is against the son? Is it things like this? Is that, is that what, maybe it's that. All right, Lord, I'll take up that cross. But in any event, you know, my heart leaps with joy to hear that my son has found somebody that he loves that much and solid young lady, good Christian. But to have to tell him, son, don't, don't, don't worry about my schedule. You schedule the wedding when it's good for you and I'll try my best to be there. I want to say, here's, here's, what, here's my will. I want to say, you just pick the date and I will be there. That's not my choice. That's not my choice. If God allows it, I'll be there. Right? If God allows it, I'll be there. But, but the final decision is His. When we were there spending time with them, Our youngest, who's still with us, had, had questions. Dad, why can't we be here? Why can't we have family around? That's a good question. That's, that's, that's a fair question. That's, that's the right question, I think. And to have to hold her tight and say, baby, I can't tell you how much I love you, your sister, your brother. but I love Jesus more. And he comes first. That's the scope of it. It's one thing to say no to a cigarette or a beer. You really want to pick up that cross. Abraham, kin and country. Okay, God. Whatever you say. Let's talk about another part of this cross that you have in Luke chapter 9. Verse 23, we're going to talk about the schedule of your cross. The scope of it is everything. It touches every part of life. Not just sinful, naturally wrong things, but even naturally right things. When necessary, when Jesus says, you put him first. Now the schedule of your cross. In verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What's the next word? Daily. Do you see the schedule? 
Daily. Daily. The Bible talks about it like this. We, we don't need to be saved every day. Right? You don't need to get saved and then saved again. You don't need to be re-saved every day, but you do need to be renewed every day. In Ephesians 4, Paul talked about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. In 2 Corinthians 4, he said the inward man needs to be renewed day by day. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. They stopped believing in the resurrection, in any kind of resurrection. Here was one of his arguments against them. He said, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus. Their, their rejoicing was, Paul is a dedicated Christian. Paul lives with a powerful walk. You know, he has a powerful walk. He walks with God. He says, I protest by your rejoicing. You guys are all happy about how I serve God and how I walk with God. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. What's the schedule? Every day. You know how Paul was able to walk in newness of life and walk in the power of the resurrection? Because every day he died. You can't have that resurrection power without the death of a cross. He said, I die daily. Daily, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. One of the biggest excuses that I think all of us use for not picking up that cross is this. Very simple one. I just don't feel like it. I'm just not in the mood today to do it like that. Well, there's one answer to that. <laughs> if I can put it bluntly, grow up and die. <laughs> just grow up and die. <laughs> right? Sometimes you don't get to do what you want to do. Sometimes your flesh is going to fight against it and it's going to be more difficult some days than other days. And still more on that day. That is when, that is when you prove your love to God the most is when it is most difficult to pick up that cross. Say, Lord, I would, there's nothing in me that wants to do this. But I will crucify this flesh and get back up on that cross and, and live that crucified life. Because every day, Every day, you're worth it. How many of you know this, this actor, sorry, actor named The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Yeah. He's a big guy. He's a big dude. Now, if you know him, he's got muscles like popping out of his ears. He's, he's <laughs> like, <laughs> does chin-ups with his ears or something. That, that if you listen to that guy's routine every day, wakes up at 4 a.m. and he gets a cup of coffee, sends out a few emails. By 4.30, he's doing cardio. He'll run or something, whatever, cardio for 45 minutes. Then he has breakfast, which is a massive breakfast. Then he goes to the gym, strength training for about an hour. And then throughout the day, right, he might hit the gym later in the day again. He'll go to the set, do his movie stuff, all of the, you know, normal engagements of life. He... He will eat anywhere from 5,000 to 7,000 calories in one day. Now, the average man needs about 2,200 or, or maybe 2,500. He eats more than double that. It takes time to eat that much. He eats five times a day. Massive portions of food. That is a lifelong commitment. To looking like that, you got to stay committed and take steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what he says. Come on, man. Come on. Come on. Come on. No, 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 no. No, no, no. <laughs> but let, let's give honor where honor is due. The man is committed. Right? That, that, is, that is not, you don't achieve that look by just having a half-hearted commitment. You got to be fully into that. Now, now, even with a bodybuilder, there is a day of rest where you, you take a day off. That's the best part of it. God knows when you need a break. He does. That's why I told you earlier, you don't have to just punish yourself. That's not the denial Jesus is looking for. We're looking for a consistent obedience. My, I had a, when I was young, I had a babysitter who would watch me and my sister, and she was constantly on a diet, perpetually on a diet, some diet that she made up. She was a little bit overweight, to put it nicely. <laughs> she would do this about twice a week. She would take us through the drive-thru of a restaurant in America called Whataburger. Whataburger. 
Whataburger. It's like, a, it's like a McDonald's. She would take us through and get this 64-ounce chocolate milkshake. I mean, it's like a, a Klein Emmer. <laughs> it's like a little bucket of milkshake. This thing was huge. And, and, and me and my sister Pam, we'd like, what's, what's, what's this about? We thought you were on a diet. She said, oh, no, no, but I've been good. I lost two pounds, so now I'm re rewarding myself. I'm like, there's about five pounds of milkshake in that emmerki. How can you? You see what happened? She, she'd go two days on and one day off, and two days on and one day off, and back and forth, and that's not the schedule of the cross. If you're going to live that crucified life, it's daily. You are committed to doing the will of God according to the word of God no matter what it costs you. Not just when it's convenient. Jesus is not looking for part-time followers. I had somebody tell me this recently and I, I must admit it's, it's, it's stuck in my heart. It kind of hurts me when I think about this. I was, I was trying to suggest how this person could get a little closer to God. We were having a nice conversation, I thought. person got a bit upset and said, why can't you just be satisfied with what I'm doing? As if to say, I don't want to improve any further. I don't need to make any extra changes or commitments. The fact that I take a few days off to do it my way, what's the big deal? Why can't you just make do with what I am giving? That's not the schedule of the cross. The schedule is daily, Lord. Just like Dwayne the Rock Johnson rolls out of bed at 4 a.m. and gets, you know, coffee and then cardio. Every day you crawl out of bed and crawl over to that cross and say, all right, here we go, Lord. Back to it. Not my will, but thine be done. And you start your day with that. One last thing. Come to John chapter 10. You hold Luke 9. The scope of the cross it touches everything, all-encompassing. Schedule of the cross every day. And then I want to end on this high note. The satisfaction of your cross. The satisfaction. I must admit, I thought about putting my third point as the sacrifice. But we've already talked about that. So now what I want to focus on is the satisfaction of carrying your cross. Let me start off with this thought in John 10. I think you're familiar with this verse. Yes, verse 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus has come to give you an abundant life, which has nothing to do with prosperity and material wealth and health. And If you read your Bible, that's fairly obvious. Jesus came to, have, to give you true, abundant life the thief does what he comes to steal to kill and to destroy so what jesus has to offer is the secret to living a fulfilling and satisfying life a, a contented life but we know from luke chapter 9 that's a life of self-denial that's a life of carrying a cross how does that fit in then with our thinking of an abundant life what jesus is offering that cross must be very satisfying because he says this is the abundant life Losing your life, you will actually save it. It's so satisfying to do it God's way. You know what the thief will do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes? How, how do you think he steals? He's here to steal your joy, your satisfaction, your fulfillment. You know how he does it? By giving you everything you want. By whispering in your ear that it's perfectly okay for you to do it the way you think you should do it. Maybe he's not pulling you down with sin. Maybe he's stretching you this way with other things that aren't naturally wrong. But he's stealing your joy. He's killing that walk with God. He's destroying any chance to go upwards closer to the Lord. You know what a thief will often do if he's stealing something really expensive and rare? Right? If somebody has it on display, you know what they sometimes do? They'll make a fake, a replica of it. And then when they steal it, they'll put the replica in its place. And that way, you know, if it's a painting or something, that way the owner doesn't even know it's gone. The owner walks right by it every day and goes, look, look, there, I still have it. You know how many times 
people have traded people have traded the will of God for a replica. Well, it made me happy. I felt good. I did what I wanted to do. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't even a sinful thing. Yeah, but it's not that abundant, satisfying life that Jesus came to give you. It's you trading the eternal and the spiritual for something temporal. The thief got you. The thief put the replica there. He's robbing you of that abundant life. Paul said it like this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not living my life by saying no to everything I want. I'm living my life by saying yes to everything Jesus wants. And when that means I have to say no to myself in order to accomplish saying yes to him, I'm carrying the cross. You know what Paul said about this? This is how you know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the abundant life. You can't get that without a cross. Just recently we had a young man visit the church here just a few weeks ago. And after the service he sat and we chatted for almost an hour. And he's seeking. He's seeking. He said, you know, right now I'm counting the cost. I'm thinking whether or not I'm ready to give up everything to join this Christian band, if you will, this, this group. And he said, but when I think about everything I'm going to have to give up, he's a successful businessman. He's engaged. His fiance probably won't like this change. He says, it's going to cost me a lot. And I said, sir, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think you're, you're right. Probably will cost you quite a bit. But, but don't forget to look at what you're gaining because he's just focused on the loss of it. What did Jesus do? Hebrews chapter 12, you know this, you don't have to turn to it, just listen to me, give you the verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know how Jesus was able to go to that cross? Because he could see past it. And he knew this cross is not forever. This cross leads to something. It leads to me sitting at the right hand of God. It leads to you being reconciled to God. He saw the joy in the cross. He saw the satisfaction of knowing I have done the Father's will. I have made a way for you and you and you and every sinner ever to get to God. This is so satisfying, so fulfilling forever and ever. We will see the fruit of Him taking on His cross. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself, listen, of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross you know what he had to do make himself of no reputation he said i don't care if i'm living up to the world's standards i don't care if you think i have a great life i'm doing exactly what god told me to do and it can't get better than that. Come back, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. I want you to see how Jesus finished this passage. In verse 26, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father and of the holy angels. Disciples, take up your cross. Don't let the devil try to offer you the whole world in exchange for your cross. The whole world is not worth the cross. You'd be better off carrying your cross than having the whole world. You'd be better off carrying that cross than having all of your dreams and wishes come to pass. And then he shoots their minds out into the future and says, one day you're going to stand before me in all my glory. The glory of the Father. The glory of the angels. You're going to stand right there in front of me. Now how do you want that day to go? Because he will then open the book and start to judge and say, now I told you to do this but you wouldn't do it. 
You were afraid of what that person would think and you were trying to live up to some cultural standard and well, that's just not how we do it around here. He said, that's how I wanted you to do it. In verse 27, I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. You know what happens right after this? We'll preach about it next week, most likely. Eight, about eight days after, Jesus goes on a mountain to pray and he's transfigured. See that in verse 29? The fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. That's how he will look when he comes again. That's the glory. You know what, they're do- what Jesus is doing? Giving them a taste of what it will be like one day to stand in the glorified presence of Christ. He says, guys, think about this decision that I'm putting before you. Before you take up this cross, think about it. One day you're going to stand there with me in this condition. Now, how do you want that to go? You know what will be satisfying at that point? To stand before him and say, Lord, it did cost me a few things, but I built a tower. How satisfying to be able to say, Lord, I did my utmost. I carried my cross, I finished my course, I kept the faith, I did it your way. But, but watch, watch how you get there. Look at verse 30. Behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias. That's Elijah. Look what they're talking about. Verse 31, who appeared in glory and spake of his what? Decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. When Moses and Elijah show up with the glorified Jesus, They're not talking about his kingdom. They're not talking about his crown. They're talking about his cross. Because you don't get the the crown without a cross. Cross before crown. You know before Jesus ever went to his physical cross, you know where he went right before that? Gethsemane. Before you get to Calvary, you got to go to Gethsemane. You know what happened in Gethsemane? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. There's his will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus says, I will make the commitment when it is most difficult to do it your way. Before Jesus ever got to Calvary, he spent some time in Gethsemane making that inward commitment to the cross. Then he picked up the cross and finished the work God gave him to do. Before you live that crucified life, it's going to start with a few moments in Gethsemane, perhaps this morning, saying, Lord, I really would rather not do it that way, but not my will. Mine be done. I want to follow. I'll take up that cross. And by God's grace, by your grace, every day, no matter what, your first. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Pianist will play something softly. If you don't mind, on the matter, if you could play 113, the old rugged cross. I want to give you folks a moment just to think about this. Let this be your Gethsemane moment. Before you get to Calvary, you've got to have a few minutes in Gethsemane. Tozer said, pray that I will be willing to let my Christian experience and Christian standards cost me something right down to the last gasp. Perhaps today, you just need to renew, renew your mind, renew that inner man, put him back on the cross. Make that commitment afresh every morning. That's the schedule. Today, I'm a Christian. And as long as the fact remains that Jesus died on a cross to pay for my sins, as long as that is true, every day that that is true, I will carry my cross. If 
you know, in the book of Hebrews, it says we have, a, we have an altar. That those Old Testament priests, they, they don't have access to this altar. We have an altar they don't have. You know what it is? It's a cross. They had their Old Testament altar. We have a cross. That's where we lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. Lord, whatever you want me to change, I'll change it. Whatever you need me to give up, I'll do it. Even if it hurts, Lord, it's yours. Don't be afraid of what you're giving up. Just remember, you're gaining that abundant life. It is very satisfying. You'll never regret it. cost of your salvation listen that's a free gift you want to be saved Jesus paid for your sins the gift of God is eternal life you want to be a disciple and follow him that'll cost you a cross Jesus's cross makes salvation free your cross that'll cost you something Father, Lord, in this song, we sing about clinging to the old rugged cross until one day we lay our trophies down. We lay the cross down, rather. We take up those trophies. We know that there's no crown without that cross. So we cling to your cross, but we also... Lord, I'm praying that you help us to cling to ours. Father, I know that what you have to offer is incredibly satisfying. Help us, God. We're weak. We're weak, Lord. We're weak. Sometimes, Lord, we don't feel like carrying that cross anymore. For those to whom that applies, give them some extra grace this morning. Renew their strength, Lord. And Lord, if somebody here is not saved, might they realize what they're missing out on? It's not just a life of sacrifice, but a life of satisfaction. Father, as we head our ways, I pray that you please not let the fowls of the air steal the seed, but let this word bring forth fruit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Lord willing, we'll see you guys tonight, 6 o'clock, Bible school, if you'd like to come.